Amen. What an awesome opportunity we have this evening to enter into the very presence of Almighty God, to receive of Him everything that He has in store for us tonight. Amen. Are you expecting something awesome from God tonight? Praise God, because He is an awesome God. And I think a lot of times, I guess I'll speak for myself, a lot of times I sell God short. My imagination, the things that I expect, the things that I can imagine Him doing just aren't on par with what He can do and with what He wants to do. I pray God expand our vision. Help us to see the things He's wanting to do in our lives. Amen. Those that were able to come early tonight got a little bit of a treat. Uh, Brother Bob brought in a pizza cooked it up, and uh, some of you guys had some, so that was good. I don't know if there's any left down there. There is, okay, because I saw Sister McGinnis come up with, uh, she was licking her chops, and so uh, I don't know if there's anything down there yet or not, but <laughs> amen, but uh, you can stay a little bit later. Go on downstairs and enjoy a piece of pizza on Bob. Thank you so much, sir. We appreciate that. Amen. Let's all stand. Amen. God has a plan for this service this evening. He has a plan for each and every one of us. Again, we are not here by coincidence. We're not here by accident. We might think that we're here by choice, and to an extent that's true. But God has designed it as such for us to be here at this particular time for His purpose. Amen. So, I'm going to ask us tonight, let's bind together as one body. Let's enter into the presence of God. Let's seek His face. Let's call on His name. And let's give Him permission tonight to do everything that He wants to do. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a mighty King. You're a glorious Savior. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've given us tonight. The presence of the Lord is so awesome. It's so overwhelming. It's What a privilege that You've extended to us as children of the Most High God. What a privilege we have tonight to enter into the very throne room of Almighty God. That room that was once closed off, that was once sanctioned by a thick veil, but now is open to everyone who desires to enter into the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you have in store for us. Expand our vision tonight and from this point forward. Help us to see everything that you're desiring to do. Help us to see everything that you're wanting to do in our lives, in the city, this county, our families. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto the Most High God tonight, and we rejoice tonight in the God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Lion of the tribe of Judah. There is no one higher. There is no one greater than you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in you tonight. We worship and we praise our Creator. We esteem highly and greatly, our Lord and our God tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus. Bless your word tonight. Let it not go forth void, but let it accomplish that which you please and prosper in the thing whereto you send it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Above all else, Lord, I pray that your mighty name would be glorified in our midst here tonight as you manifest your perfect will in this place. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You're worthy of worship. You're worthy of all praise, all glory, all honor, all majesty is yours. All power and all authority is yours. Hallelujah, Jesus. There is no one higher than you. You sit upon the throne all by yourself. There is no God beside you. There is no Savior beside you. Hallelujah, Jesus. You know not any. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship and we praise you tonight, and we're so thankful 
for the opportunity to come into your presence tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Thank you for standing. Thank you for waiting upon the Lord tonight. God bless you. You can be seated. I announced to those that were uh, here last night for prayer, um, I'll announce to the rest of you tonight something awesome, uh, that God is our healer, and I will not get tired of announcing this. I will not get tired of giving glory to God. Brother McGinnis uh, told me that uh, the last Wednesday service, uh, while we were on vacation, during that service, God healed his back. Amen. Praise God. How awesome is God? How powerful and how mighty is our God? Praise God. We get it in our minds sometimes, and, and I'm sitting right there with you. You know, we pray and we pray and we pray, and sometimes it gets to the point where we're not really sure. Maybe this isn't God's will. Maybe, maybe this, that, and the other. But God is a healer, folks. We have promises, exceeding good and precious promises in His Word, that He will heal us. Praise God. Now, I understand that, you know, He can heal you a million times, and Sudi Terry, you're still going to die. I get that. I know it's not as important as salvation. I understand that, too. However, God still made provision for our healing, as well as for our salvation. I want everything that God has for me. Not because I feel like uh, I'm going to hold God's feet to the fire and you owe this to me. Not at all. But He promised it. He wants to give it. I, I want to receive it. Praise God. Amen. God is so good to us. He is a faithful God. Romans chapter 6, verses 15-23 through 23 is where we're going to take our Scripture text tonight. Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23 says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. I'm going to read that verse again. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Moving on. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We'll be speaking tonight on this topic, the authority of choice. The authority of choice. Now, we've made mention several times that, you know, free moral agency is a very powerful thing. It's extremely powerful. Most of us don't understand. Certainly a lot of people in the world today do not understand the power a free choice. That I can literally choose my destiny. I can choose how my life ends up. Now, I understand there are external forces and things like that that come in I have no control over. But even in those situations, I can make choices to mitigate those things, to steer clear of some of them, and end up pretty much where I want to be. I have that choice, I have that power. There's a story that I found that kind of illustrates this point. Uh, it illustrates a few points. Now, I don't generally 
prefer to uh, read or, or get into stories that, that seem to make light of heaven and certainly not stories that make light of hell. Uh, and in this story, this fictional account, it uh, describes some things that I just don't believe uh, is the case, but it serves to illustrate the point. You'll understand what I mean after the story is read. Making a choice between heaven and hell. One day, not too long ago, a human resource manager was tragically knocked down and killed by a bus. It's always a bus. Her soul arrived at the pearly gates where St. Peter welcomed her. Before you get settled in, we have to solve a little problem, St. Peter said. You see, we've never had an HR manager make it this far before. I don't know who wrote the story, but not a fan of HR managers. And we're not really sure what to do with you. Oh, I see, said the woman. Can't you just let me in, though? Well, I'd like to, said St. Peter, but I have higher orders. We're instructed to let you have one day in hell and one day in heaven, and then you are to choose where you'd like to go for all eternity. Actually, I think I'd prefer heaven, said the woman. Sorry, we have rules. At which St. Peter put the HR manager into the downward-bound elevator. As the doors opened in hell, she stepped out onto a beautiful golf course. In the distance was a country club. Around her were many friends, past fellow executives, all smartly dressed, happy and cheering for her. They ran up and kissed her on both cheeks, and they talked about old times. They played a perfect round of golf, and afterward went to the country club where she enjoyed a superb steak and lobster dinner. She met the devil, who was actually rather nice, and she had a wonderful night telling jokes and dancing. Before she knew it, it was time to leave. Everyone shook her hand and waved goodbye as she stepped into the elevator. The elevator went back up to heaven where St. Peter was waiting for her. Now it's time to spend a day in heaven, he said. So she spent the next 24 hours lounging around on clouds, playing the harp and singing. That's one part I don't think is going to be there, but we'll continue. Which was almost as enjoyable as her day in hell. At the day's end, St. Peter returned. So, he said, you've spent one day in hell and you've spent one day in heaven. Now you've got to choose between the two. Which one will it be? The woman thought for a second and replied, Well, heaven is certainly lovely, but I actually had a better time in hell. I choose hell. Accordingly, St. Peter took her to the elevator again and she went back down to hell. When the doors of the hell elevator opened, she found herself standing in a desolate wasteland covered in garbage and filth. She saw her friends dressed in rags, picking up rubbish and putting it in old sacks. The devil approached and put his arm around her. I don't understand, stuttered the HR manager. The other day I was here and there was a golf course and a country club. We ate lobster. We danced and we had a wonderful, happy time. Now all there is is just a dirty wasteland of garbage and all my friends look miserable. The devil simply looked at her and smiled. Yesterday we were recruiting you. Today, your staff. We'll talk more about that later. As most of you are aware, the Supreme Court recently overturned a decision that was made in the 70-something Roe v. Wade. <clears throat> At one point... It was illegal to have abortions in the United States. And then all of a sudden it became legal. Did that mean it was morally wrong before? But now it's morally okay. Did we as a nation get it wrong before? Did we correct it with Roe v. Wade? Are we wrong now? Who gets to determine that? Even though it's no longer national law, there are some who believe it ought to be. When it was the national law, there were some who believed it ought not be. Interesting. So where do we get our values from? Where do our, va where do our values come from? Do they come from parents? Friends? 
Do they come from society? Our government? History? Philosophy? Religion? Science? Myself? Where do they come from? Maybe we should ask the question first, what is a value? How do we define that word value? Morality? Things I ought to do, ought not to do? Which brings up, for me at least, an interesting question. Why ought I do certain things? Why ought I not do other things? There are a plethora of ideas out there today about right and wrong, morality, immorality. Who gets to determine that? Who gets to determine what's right and wrong? Who gets to tell me what I ought to do and what I ought not do? And why? These questions may seem basic, but these foundational questions are extremely important for us to answer. Where does the ought come from? When you tell me I ought to pay my taxes, why? Where's the moral impetus for me to pay my taxes? Why ought I do that? What if I don't? I go to jail, right? Why do I go to jail? I broke the law. The ought, the moral impetus, comes from a concept called authority. Who has the authority? And in a nutshell, who I give the authority to, or whose authority I recognize in my life, is going to determine my worldview. We're going to explore that for a little while. Some things about authority. It is delegated from higher to lower. For example, if I go to the workplace, if I go to work at Walmart, now I don't know how Walmart is organized, uh, but I assume they have some kind of first-tier level manager, and then they'll have a, maybe a department manager, and then there's maybe a, a VP and a store manager, and on and on and on, all the way up to the CEO. Okay? If I'm a store manager, I have delegated authority, right? I have authority over the entire store. All of the managers under, under me, they're looking to me for guidance. I tell them to do something, they better do it. The CEO doesn't have to worry about what I'm doing or what I'm... If I tell the CEO to do something, he's not too concerned about that. Why? Because I have no authority over the CEO. Now, at some point in this chain of command, someone, some source, must possess inherent authority. It just doesn't keep going in an infinite loop. At some point, it's got to stop. The authority has to originate from somewhere. Follow the analogy through. Store manager, VP, blah, 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 CEO. CEO and board of directors. Is that where it stops? Do they have inherent authority? No. Who do they answer to? The stockholders. That's right. The stockholders have authority over the CEO. If they got together, they could fire him right now. Put someone else in. Who delegates authority to the stockholders? Well, in this particular example, no one. As far as Walmart is concerned, the stockholders have the ultimate authority. You see how that works. 
The inherent has absolute authority over everything. No one has authority over them. Now, I understand the analogy breaks down here because we're just applying it to Walmart or a specific corporation. That authority needs to be recognized by those under authority. In other words, we've got to submit ourselves to that authority. We've got to recognize it. If someone has authority over me and I don't recognize it, well, where does that leave us? I don't pay my taxes. I don't recognize their authority to tax me. Well, I still go to prison, though, right? That's where power comes in. That's going to be another topic. So why do we submit? Why do we recognize authority in our lives? Whatever authority that may be. Obviously, in this case, we're talking about recognizing God's authority. But there are plenty of people out there who do not recognize that authority. And they certainly don't live like they do. But everybody has an authority in their life. They recognize some form of authority, even if it's myself. I'm my own authority. So why do we submit to that authority? Well, one is fear of consequence. I don't want to go to prison, Brother Bob. So I'm going to keep paying my taxes. Why do I stop at the red light? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, I don't want a ticket. I don't want my points to go up. I don't want my insurance to go up. But also, I don't want to get T-boned by a Mack truck. Why do sociopaths stop at the red light? They don't recognize authority. Because they don't want to get T-boned either. They recognize it because of fear of consequence. Some of us will recognize authority for, because of hope of reward. We're looking for some kind of reward or advancement. If I'm at Walmart and I'm looking for a promotion, I'm going to do everything that I'm told to do. I'm going to go above and beyond. I'm going to look for other things to do. I'm going to make myself valuable to my supervisor. I recognize his authority to promote me. Another reason that we submit is because at times we naturally agree with authority, so we're in sync anyway. That's not really submission, but that's another reason that we're going to place ourselves under authority. It turns out that we are, in a sense, autonomous. Not in the fact that we get to determine right and wrong. Uh, not in any biblical sense. But we are autonomous in that we get to choose which authority we're going to recognize in our lives. We get to choose who we're going to submit to. And that's an extremely powerful choice to make. And a very important choice to make. Which authority we recognize or submit ourselves to is going to provide the oughts to our values. It's going to provide our morality, or at least that's what we believe. In a larger sense, our worldview is basically determined, again, by what we choose to recognize as authorities in our lives. Who I recognize as an authority. Who gets to tell me what's right and wrong? Who gets to tell me what I should do with my life? Those kinds of questions. Who gets to speak to me like that? Who I determine that to be is going to, ter to determine a lot of things about me. So I need to answer some questions then. Who in my life gets to determine right and wrong? Who gets to make the rules? Who gets to set the oughts and the ought-nots? Is it me? Do I get the authority to determine right and wrong all on my own? Well, there's two answers to that. Yes and no. If yes, then where does my authority come from? 
If I have the authority to do that, where does that authority come from? Am I inherent? Do I have inherent authority? By virtue of being born? What if my ideas of right and wrong clash with your ideas of right and wrong? Whose authority supersedes the other? Who wins out? How about the government? Maybe the government gets that authority. It would sure like to have that authority, wouldn't it? It acts a lot of times like it does have that authority. This whole, you can't legislate morality. Anyone ever hear that? What laws do not legislate morality? Laws in themselves are a definition of what our morals are as a society. Every law is legislating morality in one form or another. It's just, does that line up with your ideas of what's moral and what's not? So how about it? Does government get that authority? If so, where do they get the authority? Who gave them the authority? Well, on paper anyway, Brother DeMuth, according to our United States Constitution, in our form of government, our government is by the people. Yeah, the people have the ultimate authority. Where do the people get their authority? From God, at least on paper, according to our Constitution. But what about different forms of government? What about a communist government? Where does the communist government get its authority from? Not the people. Do they have it because they have the guns and the military? Is that what gives me the right to to tell people what's right and wrong? Because I'm stronger than you? Or smarter than you? I have bigger guns than you? Does Does that give me the right to determine right and wrong? Might makes right. Does it come from a majority rule? Does the majority have the authority to determine right and wrong? I'm asking these questions because these are all answers that people would give as to who has the authority. And all I want to know is, how did they get it? Who gave it to them? Majority rule. Do they get to determine right and wrong? Well, who gives the majority that right? Well, the majority gives themselves the right. They vote on it. Well, what happens to the minority? In each of these possibilities, there exists no compelling reason for someone to submit. There is no compelling reason. And what I mean by that is this. In every one of these cases, we are assuming that there is no higher power, there is no God. Okay? That's the assumption on all of these. Because if God is not the ultimate authority, somebody else is. Right? So who is? If God is gone, if God doesn't exist, all of this came from a big explosion, which is now under question, by the way. James Webb Telescope for the win. Look it up. They're questioning the Big Bang now because of what that telescope is bringing back pictures of. Anyway, uh, such a ridiculous hypothesis anyway. Um, Why did you guys get me on that? Um, Yeah, thank you. Someone's keeping track here. If God doesn't exist, then who's the authority? How do we determine that? That's all I want to know. 
That's my only question tonight. If it's not God, then who is it? And who gave them that authority? And why should I submit myself to that authority? What are they going to do to me if I don't? I have no compelling reason to submit myself to these authorities in and of themselves. If God doesn't exist, why should I submit to government? There are plenty of people that don't. Okay, I can go to prison. Maybe that's an acceptable price for me. Prison is not in and of itself compelling. Not to me it's not. There's got to be something more. There's got to be something higher that compels the oughts and the ought-nots. And that doesn't do it. Because, let's trace this all the way down here. Let's say I disobey the government because I don't recognize their authority and they throw me in prison for life. Or, worst case scenario, I'm on death row and they kill me. Well, what happens after that? Nothing. Nothing happens. I got away scot-free. There's no consequence for me at all. Right? Because I'm annihilated. There is no afterlife. See how that works? So if that's the case, and I know it's the case, why should I submit to anything? Why should I submit to anyone? Whose authority am I going to recognize with that understanding? If you've heard this, well, we need to do the greatest amount of good to the greatest amount of people. That's one definition of morality. And they throw that out there and they pat themselves on the back and, and that, that seems really egalitarian. That seems really uh, civilized and, and, and uh, modern. Okay. Some questions here. What does good mean? What do you mean by the greatest amount of good? What does good mean? And who gets to define that? What if the greatest amount of people we can affect is two or three in a hundred thousand? Does that qualify as the greatest amount of good? These statements that people throw out are chock full of assumptions. And uh, uh, preconceived ideas that I don't recognize. I don't recognize people's authority to determine right and wrong. I don't recognize my authority to determine right and wrong. I don't recognize the government's authority to determine right and wrong, not in a moral sense. Yes, they have the power to pass laws. Absolutely. But they don't get to tell me what's moral, what's ethical, what's right and wrong. That's got to come from something higher. Let me frame the question another way. Is it wrong for me to go into a mall and start shooting people? Most people would agree that that's not a good thing to do. That's wrong. And from my worldview, I have a really good explanation as to why. Do they have a good explanation as to why that's wrong? Because out in the world today, folks, murder is simply deciding dates. That's all murder is. If I was born past a certain time, I'm good to go. If I'm in the womb, God help me. If I'm past a certain age, God help me. Because they're wanting to euthanize old people now. Why is that? Well, because they're using up precious resources. And they're not contributing anymore. Where does that idea come from? 
<laughs> Better not be you, Brother McGinnis. <laughs> not Scripture. They, they subscribe to that to a large degree. But, and they want to tell me that that's right. That's moral. That's ethical. And if I don't believe that, if I don't fall in step with that, then they're going to take measures. These kinds of ideas, yes, going into a a mall and shooting people is wrong. That's bad. Don't do it. We are, uh, the atheist and me, we agree on that. But what's the difference between murdering these people versus murdering an unborn child? Versus euthanizing someone who's 85, 90 years old. What's the difference? A lot of difference in their worldview. None whatsoever in mine. Is it right or wrong to throw people in prison for robbing a bank so that they can get medical care for a sick daughter? Let's make it a little bit more ambiguous. I got a sick daughter. I got laid off. I'm unemployed. I don't have any money. The medical bills are piling up. They're going to kick her off of medical care. She's going to die if that happens. So the only thing I see to do is rob a bank so I can pay the bills and keep her in Keep her in the hospital. Is that wrong? Is that right? Who gets to determine that? Why is it wrong? Why is it right? I'm not asking for an answer. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Is rape right or wrong? Why or why not? Let's go with the right answer. It's wrong. Rape is wrong. But why is it wrong? Because you say it's wrong? That's not good enough. I agree, it's wrong, but not because you say it's wrong. You don't have the authority to tell me what's right and wrong. Because the government says so? Because laws have been passed against it? I'm glad laws have been passed against it. But that doesn't make it right or wrong. It used to be illegal to abort unborn children. In some states, it still is. That doesn't make that right, just because a law is passed. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? I'm talking about authority tonight. Is it right or wrong because majority opinion says so? And if it does say so, so what? Why am I obligated to follow what they say? Why ought I adopt and submit myself to their morality? All right. According to Scripture, there are two masters that we can choose to serve and only two. There are only two authorities that we can choose to recognize. And one of them is not myself. One of them is not the government. One of them is not majority rule. It's God... And it's the devil. Those are the two people I can submit to. I can bend the knee to. And make no mistake, folks, everyone, everyone that has ever been born and that ever will be born will submit themselves to one of these two. I'm my own man. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that. I live my life the way I want. No, you don't. You're blind. You're deceived. You're in darkness. And that's the honest truth of it. There are only two authorities we can choose to recognize. If I don't choose God, well, then I choose the default. Matthew seven thirteen and 14 says this, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. In other words, there's a lot of choices that lead me to this. All kinds of roads lead me here. 
Verse 14 says, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There is one and only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's the only way. He's the only way, folks. He's the door. Any other choice leads to the wide gate, the broad way that leads to destruction. Every other choice leads there. Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. It's your choice. It's absolutely your choice which one you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will choose the Lord. I am not forced into this. Neither are you. And... I'm going to say this. It might be misunderstood, but hold judgment to the end. People in all of these various lifestyles, that's a choice too. It's a choice. No one can force me to live a certain way. No one can force me to adopt in here a set of rules and regulations, an idea of right and wrong, unless I choose to do that. That's my choice. And no one, not even by gunpoint. Now at gunpoint, the choice is a little bit harder. Now that's true. Sometimes one choice is really easy and another choice is really difficult. But it's still your choice. No one can force you to do anything. No one can force you to live a certain way. God can, but He won't. He won't. He has given you the choice, the authority to choose. No one else can do that for you. So when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to stand there knowing that we made the choice. No one made it for me. I made it myself. Well, my parents did this and that. Granted, yes, they did all of that. But it was still your choice. Well, I grew up in an environment with this, that, and the other. I'll, I'll stipulate all of that. Some, some environments, some, uh, some of the ways that people grew up, the environments they grew up in, I can, I can only imagine how horrific it must have been. I'll grant all of that. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, it's still a choice. It might be a really easy or a really difficult choice. But no one can force you. No one else has the authority except you. Only you have the authority to choose for yourself who you're going to serve with your life. So most of us, I'd say in here, have chosen to submit ourselves to the Lord God. Why would someone be compelled to choose God? Over all the other choices, why would someone choose God? I'm not going to talk at all about God's character. I'm not going to talk at all about how much He loves you and how desperately He wants you to to live forever with Him. That His yoke is easy, that His burden is light. And all of those are compelling reasons. The first reason is we've got to choose someone. We've got to choose someone. The second reason, He provides and only He provides the moral impetus to obey. He is the only one that can provide me sufficient moral impetus, sufficient cause to obey. Why is that? He's infinitely powerful. He has ultimate authority. In my life, He can do literally anything He wants to do. He can put me anywhere He wants to put me. Put me in the middle of any situation. 
any circumstance to wake me up and get me to choose the good in the right way. That's the first thing. The second thing is, He has the power to destroy me forever. He's the ultimate and the righteous judge. He said at one point, Don't fear Him who can destroy only the flesh. Fear Him who can destroy both body and soul. I need to respect God because He's the one that's going to judge me. And I'm not going to be annihilated after I die. I'm not going to get away scot-free. I'm going to be catapulted headfirst into eternity before a judgment seat. And I'm going to give an account for myself, the choices I made, the things I did. Nobody gets away scot-free. There is moral impetus in submitting ourselves to God. Why would someone be compelled to choose anything or anyone else? I mentioned one already, deception. Let's go back to our story. She came down to try it out, and it was great. Country clubs and golf courses and smartly dressed friends and everything was awesome. Isn't that exactly like sin is? It will entice. It will tempt. And as soon as we say yes, we're going to enjoy it for a season and then we're done. There's this belief that God focuses on what you cannot do But the devil tells me what I can do. That is simply not true. That is not true at all. The enemy will tell you all kinds of things you can't do. You can't live holy. You can't serve the Lord. You cannot be free of addictions and bondage. He'll tell you to live any way you want. But then when you want out, he won't let you out. How about that? He lied to you. Emotional wounds and hurts, people want to blame God for those things. And I'm not I'm not going to judge anyone that's in that situation. As a rule, in my life, I have a very serious problem with judging God. I understand getting to that point. I do. Blaming God for things going wrong. Blaming things for not going right. I understand getting to that point, but I'm going to be transparent with you. That just demonstrates to me a lack of understanding of who God is. You don't understand who God is if if you can sit there and blame God for something. My God suffered on a cross and died for me. He loves me more than I'll ever comprehend. He wants the very best for me. If something's going wrong in my life, A, it's my own fault. I made a dumb choice. Or B, I'm there because God wants me there. For my perfection, for my edification, for my refining. Because I want to be more like Him. I want to reflect His character, not mine. And sometimes that's the only way to do it. Because I'm stubborn and I'm stiff-necked. And sometimes I just need a good kick in the slats. That's just the way it is. We're autonomous in this area. We get to choose our master. No matter how easy or how difficult it might be. We choose our master. We choose who we submit ourselves to. We choose who's going to speak into our lives and who's going to tell me what's right and what's wrong. How should I live my life? Those kinds of questions can only be answered by 
inherent authority. Someone with the power and with the authority to back it up. Now, let's get more specific into this God that I have chosen to submit to. And a lot of you have too. How do we determine right and wrong? As a biblical Christian, how do we determine what's right and what's wrong? I don't determine what's right and wrong. A lot of people may think that. I tell someone, you shouldn't do that. You should do this instead. Well, what gives you the right? Why are you so judgy? I'm not judgy. I'm just trying to give you some free advice, pal. That's not my idea of right and wrong. If I could back up however long ago it was, before I came to the Lord, I promise you I had a wildly different idea of right and wrong. But today, as much as possible, I'm trying to line up my idea of right and wrong with God's character. God's character is the very definition of right and wrong. God is a holy God. I need to be holy. God's a righteous God. I need to be righteous. God is a loving God. I need to love people as I love myself. He's merciful. I need to show mercy to everyone. Why do I do those things? Because that's who God is. That's who He is. That's His character. And that is our definition of right and wrong. That is our definition of morality, is God's character. That's why I ought to do certain things, and why I ought not to do other things, is because that's who God is. And I want so desperately to be like Him. I want to be like Him. So I want to be right. I want to be holy. I want, to, I want to be filled with God's love for people. I promise you, I don't love people on my own. But God, through me, I love people. Everything about our Christian walk is determined by who God is. That's our idea of right and wrong. That's our definition of morality is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who we choose to submit ourselves to, that becomes our master. If we choose to submit ourselves to Satan, you can expect a short time of pleasure, generally speaking, followed by a lifetime of bondage, misery, and regret. One promise I can make. Two promises I can make. One, you're going to enjoy it initially. The other promise I can make is you won't enjoy it for long. But then it's going to be too late. You're going to be stuck there. It's kind of like the drug dealer. Someone was telling me, maybe I overheard it, people are walking by and and putting fentanyl packets in people's pockets. Free of charge, just giving it away. Why would they do that? Well, obviously so they can get hooked on it. And then they're going to pay full retail for it. That's just how the enemy operates. He's going to show you all the kingdoms of the world and how grand and glorious they are and how shiny and wonderful everything is. Oh, that's what I want. That's what I want. Jump headfirst into that. Pretty soon, the veneer starts to wear off. The shininess goes away. You start realizing... This is nothing but plastic baubles. But then it's too late. If you choose God as your master, you can expect a short time of valleys and mountaintops, followed by an eternity of pure bliss. You're never. Well. say it this way. When all of us are in eternity, no one is ever going to regret choosing Jesus Christ. I was going to say, 
No one regrets serving the Lord. For whatever reason, some people do end up regretting it. I don't know why. Again, I, I don't think they know the same God that I know. I can't. I just can't understand that. <coughs> Maybe I haven't been through the same things. Okay. So we need to make a decision. Some of us have made that decision for good or bad. If I've made a poor decision, can I correct it? Can I make a good decision? Absolutely you can. Absolutely you can. As long as you're drawing breath. As long as you can fog a mirror, someone said. You've got a chance. You've got another choice. Make the right choice. And it really is our choice. And this is the choice, folks. Eternal life or eternal damnation. Those are the two choices we've got. You can choose to believe that or not. You can choose to smirk and, and kind of chuckle a little bit. And that poor deceived man. That poor fool. And that's fine. I mean, that's no skin off my back. I know where I'm going. But at the end of all of this, everything is going to be laid bare. And I don't want to pin my hopes on some fantasy, some dream, some wish. This is, this is the biggest, most important choice anyone can ever make. It's going to determine your eternity. Your eternity. We've got to make sure it's the right one. The authority we recognize in our lives is going to determine which one we choose. Who gets to determine right and wrong? Who gets to tell me how to live my life? Am I going to let God do that? Or am I going to let anything else do that? strong as an exhortation as I can give to you tonight. Choose Jesus. Choose to submit yourself to the Lord God. You're not going to regret it. It's not peaches and sunshine all the time, but it will be in the end. We win this thing, and we get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. No sadness, no sorrow, no sickness, no disease. Nobody gets old in heaven. Nobody gets hurt in heaven. Nobody stubs their toe. I might even have hair. Who knows? <laughs> or maybe all of you will lose yours. <laughs> How about that? Amen. <laughs> I won't either. Amen. But if we make the right choice, folks, and we have reasons to make this choice, there are no compelling reasons to choose anything else. No one else provides the moral impetus to obey, to submit. Only God provides that. And only God loves you and wants the very best for you. Amen. Choose you this day who you will serve. And once you make the choice, manage that decision every single day. Manage it. Wake up in the morning and make that choice all over again. Renew your commitment to Jesus. He's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Let's all stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given truth to your people. That you have provided light in a dark world. I am so thankful for the truth, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the revelation of who you are, the revelation of truth as, as given to us through your word. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to live and to walk in that truth every single day. Help us to choose you to serve You, to submit ourselves to You, to allow You and only You 
to speak into our lives, those things that are right, those things that are wrong, how we should live our lives, what we ought to do, what we ought not to do. That is your purview, Lord Jesus, and yours alone. Help us to receive that from you every single day. When we choose you, help us to choose you every single day, to renew our commitment, our dedication, our choice every single day. I pray, God, that you would bless the people of God that you would bless those within the sound of my voice, that you would go with us as we go our separate ways, bring us back to the house of God at the day appointed, and these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so very much for being here tonight. Uh, We are having a special guest speaker this Sunday. Uh, Brother Joss Anderson, the pastor in Eau Claire, is going to be ministering to us, second service. Amen. And an oldie but goldie, Brother DeMuth, is going to be ministering in our first service. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.